word of the Lord. I feel on my heart, amen, a word to preach to the people that are here and to anyone that might, if this is being recorded, might listen to it later. And I'm going to preach from a scripture found in the book of Psalms. Psalm 37, Psalm 37 and verse 37, it is an honor to be back home. I still consider Harvey my home, even though I've lived in the Quad Cities for now almost 19 years. This Memorial Day will be 19 years ago that I moved to the Quad Cities as a 21-year-old student fresh out of Bible college to start a church, and, uh, but Harvey is home. This will always be home to me. When I thank God, I thank God nearly every day for spiritual authority, and among which I thank God for Pastor Terry Cox and how he shepherded my family from when I was just a small boy to a young adult, and uh, he confirmed the call of God on my life. He uh, counseled me out of a spiritually detrimental relationship. I could tell you about that on a personal level if you want to. He uh, released me to go to Bible college, and then uh, my last semester, I came home and uh, for a service on a Sunday, might have I'm trying to remember when it was. It was definitely before youth convention. And I had told him about this opportunity that was presented to me to go to the Quad Cities, to go to Rock Island to help start a church. And I was saying it in such a way, Pastor Anthony, that I was, I was saying that, that that was not my intention. I'm going to come home because I love Harvey. I'm going to come home. My parents were starting a business. I wanted to come home. I loved my home church. And so I was saying it like in a nonchalant way. We were walking out of the sanctuary into the lobby and uh, saying, you know, this opportunity came up. But, you know, basically, don't worry, Pastor. I'm, I got your back. I'm coming home. And I'll never forget, he looked over his left shoulder at me. He said, that's a pretty great opportunity, David. You might want to give it some more thought. And then just kept walking. And, like, just left me there speechless. And uh, so from there, I set up an appointment where I met the pastor who was inviting me to meet him at youth convention. At that time, it was in Decatur. I think it was the last year that it was in Decatur. And uh, then set an appointment to go to the Quad Cities to visit location. I could take you to the very spot when I was sitting in the pastor's pastor, passenger seat of his Chrysler 300 and, uh, on, on 9th Street. And I said, this is, this is where I'm supposed to be at. And uh, God has done a great work. Seven years we were at daughter work, and the last 11 uh, plus years we have been a self-governing church. And this past January we dedicated our first ever building to the Lord. It's ours. It's the Refuge Church's building. We have been renters all of this time. We've, we've been in rundown homes. We've been in storefronts for the last eight and a half years. We were in a uh, Nazarene church, sharing facilities with a Nazarene church, but God has just positioned us all along the way to where we're at now, and thank God for the revival we're seeing. Amen, amen. I'm, I'm here, and I'm not Anthony Bailey. In case you didn't pick that up yet, I'm not Anthony Bailey. He's a sick man, like physically. He's not well. And uh, so I, 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 have, I have come to the rescue to bail out Bailey. Uh, and so I'm, I'm glad to be here per pastor's invite. Uh, I remember being at commit services 26 years ago at the very first one. <clears throat> so that was probably before any of you were born, huh? Yeah, okay. We won't pay any more attention to that. But uh, I wish that my wife and my kids were here. Uh, but there's a little small thing going on in Bloomington right now. For auditions to sing with Illinois Youth Ministries events, whatever, and they think that's a pretty big deal, so they're there. But uh, I, you know, I wanted to give them the option to come with me, but they didn't even like give it any prayer or thought or fasting. They chose not to come with me. 
But so here I am alone, all by myself. But the Lord is with me. <laughs> Psalm 37, 37. How many has this scripture committed to memory? No? Okay. Well, it's a good thing. We're, we're going we're gonna to read it, and you'll probably never forget this verse after, after today because I'm just that good of a speaker. No. It, it, there'll be other reasons, I promise. So Psalm 37, 37, the Bible says, Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. Read those first four words with me out loud. Say, Mark the perfect man. Mark the perfect man. And that's what I've come to preach to you today is on that very thing. Mark the perfect man. Would you lay your Bibles and devices down? Amen. And let's just specifically ask the Lord just to speak, to have just free reign in this place. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for just a powerful time we've had together in prayer, in worship. The presence of the Lord is in this place, and you've already done so much in the spirit. I believe that in this place you have healed minds, healed bodies, set free souls. And Lord, I pray that your word will just come alongside the working of your spirit and let it go forth with liberty into the hearts of every person that is here. I believe that today we can be challenged and convicted by your word and not just be hearers of it, but be doers of the word as we leave from this place, Lord, that we will leave differently, forever changed by the word of God. Help me to do a great job under the anointing of your spirit to speak your word and not my own, and let us have an ear to hear what the spirit is going to say to the church today. And everybody say in Jesus' name. Amen. Shake hands with your neighbor. Tell them how great they look. Amen. If they don't look great, don't tell them. I don't want you to lie in church. Just tell them, tell them something nice other than lying. Mark the perfect man. Mark the perfect man. So, so I, I'm, I'm able to tell people, uh, you've already kind of heard I'm from this area, um, and I could tell people who are not from this area, I could tell them, you know, I grew up on the south side of Chicago, went to school of hard knocks. <clears throat> and they would not be the wiser as far as where in Chicago I grew up. Um, I did not grow up in, in just the hood. Uh, I grew up in, uh, in Lansing, Illinois. Anybody from Lansing? Like me and the Cox family, all right. So I, I, I grew up in Lansing, Illinois, uh, elementary school. We moved a few times. I went to Revis, Sandridge, and then landed at Coolidge for my fifth grade year. Then I spent all three years at Memorial Junior High. Is that on Ridge Road? Went to Memorial Junior High, then to the great, great illustrious uh, school of Thornton Fractional South. And uh, so... You know, for those of you that live in, in this area, like if I said I grew up on the south side of Chicago in the School of Hard Knocks, and then you knew that about, about me, you're like, what? Like, you were a suburbanite. Like, <laughs> but listen, we went to River Oaks Mall. Has anyone been to River Oaks Mall? I went to River Oaks Mall when it was an outdoor mall. At one time, it was an outdoor mall. No roof. It was like outdoor shopping, like an outlet. But, uh, no, I tell people that I went, to, uh, I went to the school of hard knocks because I had two younger brothers. I had a brother that's two years younger than me. His name's Mark. And a brother four years younger than me. His name's Jonathan. 
And I'm pretty sure that the day that they were born, someone handed them a job description for their life. And that job description said, make your older brother's life as miserable as you can. They were relentless. I could tell you story after story after story. I remember one time, they liked the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles toys. My brother Mark, he liked Jurassic Park toys. One time, my mother tried to get him Jurassic Park toys for Christmas, and they didn't have the JP logo stamped on them because they were like the off-brand. And he threw a fit. And she took him back and got a JP toy. I was like, What? He had, they, they had this Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle thing that would, like, wind up and make noise. And I was older than them. I was starting to experience the changes of life, and I might have smelled a little bit when I got sweaty. They were still, like, wishing that they could grow facial hair. And so I might have smelled a little bit bad, but you know what they would do? They would take these toys, and be, every time I'd come around, they would put it over their mouth and be like, <gasps> Torture me. Torture me. My, my, I was, one day, I learned not to confide in my parents because one day I was confiding with my parents and my brother, Mark, overheard. Uh, yes, most of these stories are going to revolve around Mark. One day, one day, he overheard me telling my parents with tears that I was being, I was being bullied at school. It was in junior high. And I was a seventh grader, and these two eighth graders would make fun of me literally every day because of the glasses I wore. I wore glasses. Uh, I've got a lazy eye, and the, the glasses would, I mean, if I wore them right now, they just magnify my eyes, just real big. And they would, they would tell me, this is so dumb. They would say, hey, big eyes. They would call me big eyes. And I told this to my, my parents, not knowing that Mark was just outside the room listening to this, this counseling session. And from that day forward, he'd say, hey, pig eyes. I wanted to be like, listen, numbskull, it was big eyes, not pig eyes. Pig eyes, they're small. I wish I had pig eyes. I grew up in the school of hard knocks. I grew up with my two younger brothers. And, and uh, anyways, uh, my brother, now no, I, I make them sound terrible. They were in church. My, my brothers knew Bible scriptures. Uh, Mark, in particular, he just knew one scripture. And he loved to quote Bible scripture, just this one scripture. This scripture, Psalm 37, 37, Mark, the perfect man. I'm not making this up. Mark, the perfect man. He took it very personal, the scripture, the word of God, very much personalized it to him. And, you know, in a way, I want you to walk out of this place personalizing the word. Mark the perfect man. It's not Mark, comma, the perfect man. I don't know if there's any Marks here today, but the Scripture's not saying that anyone named Mark is the perfect man. But maybe the latter of the verse fully explains or better explains the, the, the former in this. It says, behold the upright. Open your eyes and see the upright. For the end of that man is peace. And who doesn't want peace? Truth of the matter is, is no matter what age you are, whether you know it or not, everyone under the sound of my voice wants peace, real peace, not the peace that this world can give. 
But a world or, or a peace that this world can't give and this world can't take away. A peace that no matter what you're going through, you know everything's going to be all right. Of course, haven't we felt over the past 24 months like we've gone through some things? We're still, we're still reaping the, the harvest that was sown through the pandemic. People's lives were come to a screeching halt. Our economy, everything it seems like has trickled down. And even today, no matter where you find yourself in life, whatever season you're in, it seems like we feel like we are being tried. Maybe it has nothing to do with the pandemic, but I feel like I'm talking to people here today that feel like you are being tried. Maybe you thought to yourself, my patience is being tried, or your finances are being tried, or your sanity is being tried. Her parents of small children, you might want to say something like this, they're trying my Holy Ghost, about to lose my salvation. But you feel like you're in this pressure cooker of life, this furnace, if you will, the fire. Like you're going through that, that bad place. But I, can I just stop and say this? I'd rather go through the bad place now and here than to genuinely lose my salvation and move there for eternity. I don't know what you feel like you're going through. I don't know what you feel like you are under the weight of. I don't know what you would like to characterize the circumstances of your life as right now. But I promise you, do not trade in your salvation. Do not trade in the blood of the Lamb. Do not trade in the name of Jesus. Do not trade in your consecration and your faithfulness to the house of God and the things of God. It is trying. I, I, I've not come to minimize. I've not come to patronize you and what you're going through. What you're going through may very well be hard. But I'm increasingly concerned that we are living in a culture that simply doesn't want to do hard things. And may the church of God not allow that mentality to bleed into our assembly. We can do hard things. We can live for God even if nobody else is. We can walk righteously in an unrighteous world. I like to think of it this way. If Noah could do it, so can I. Noah didn't have the Holy Ghost. Noah didn't have the cross. Noah didn't have a church. Noah didn't have a pastor. It was just him and the eight souls. But Noah found grace in the sight of God because he walked uprightly when the whole world had gone awry. If he could do it, you better believe you could do it in your school. You better believe you could do it in your high school. You better believe you could do it in your neighborhood. You better believe you could do it in the 21st century. You've got the church. You've got the blood. You've got the name. You've got spiritual. You've got things that could help you through the trial. <laughs> but you're being, you're being tried. And, and, and really, anything that is going to have any value is going to be tried. Before they could put a product on the shelves and the stores or out for sale, that product has to go through trials to ensure the quality and the strength of it. That was actually the big concern, right? 
about the vaccinations. Was there enough trials? Had it been proven yet? There's a lot of concern, a lot, uh, a lot of care whether or not someone should take the vaccine. Has it been proven? And really, you, you ought to look at your faith and consider your faith. Whatever you're going through, whatever you feel like you are going through it, whether now or later or before, it's, it's, it's a trial. It's a trine. Let me turn your attention to what the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. We who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And can I get any witnesses in this room right now that can testify it really wasn't by my strength or my ingenuity or my resources, but I have been kept by the power of God. And I'm thankful that his power is most useful in my weakness. That's where his strength is made perfect. In verse 6 it says, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. And maybe that's where you feel like you are. Manifold temptations. You are heaviness. There is like a spirit of oppression. You may dance for joy in this place, but it seems like in your place there's a spirit of heaviness. Maybe in your school there's a spirit of heaviness. In your family there's this oppressive feeling it seems to govern that area but listen verse 7 that the trial of your faith what you're going through the temptations the trying is really just the trial of your faith and it's being much more precious than of gold that perishes though it be tried with fire might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ it seems like when you're going through the furnace the trial stuff can have a tendency to come out. And you think, where did that come from? I didn't even know that was in my thoughts, in my heart. But it's like this squeeze, this pressure cooker that causes the impurities to rise to the surface. And let me just kind of speak a word that I feel inspired of the Spirit right now. Before you throw yourself under the bus, call yourself a good-for-nothing loser because you have been in the trial of your life and something came out that you didn't think was in there and you feel like a failure before you throw yourself out with the trash, I want you to realize that the trial is to help you recognize the impurities in your heart so that you can deal with them the correct way at an altar, in a prayer room, through repentance. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let God help you as the junk gets squeezed out of your life and you don't know why you feel so rebellious and why those things came out of your mouth and why you turn to things that you know you shouldn't turn to. Say, Lord, you are revealing to me things that I thought I had conquered, but there were still remnants in my heart and you're trying to purify my faith like silver and gold in the fire. Somebody say, in Jesus' name, he wants you to be refined. Through the fire of your trial, he says that you might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. He is coming, and he's coming soon. Now you haven't seen him yet, but in love, in whom, though now you have not yet seen him, yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith and the salvation of your souls. But I want to encourage someone or challenge you, do not backslide in your trying. And this may be a message that's not as much reactive as proactive. 
Maybe you came in this place, you're scratching your head and thinking, man, Brother Brian, what are you talking about trial? I feel like things are going great. I'm in revival. Now, trials, temptations, heaviness, but God knows what's ahead of you. God knows what tomorrow might bring, but whatever it does bring, don't allow yourself to backslide in your trial. The trial is for your victory. The trial is for the strengthening and purification of your faith, not for your backsliding and demise and destruction. But listen, let's just be real. Let's just listen in on the psalmist, Psalm 73, verse 1, as he bears his heart as he goes through his trial. He says this, truly, God is good to Israel. And everybody say amen. Even to such as are a, pure, a clean heart, everyone say amen. That's shouting stuff. That's, that's, that's stuff we sing about. God is good to Israel. God is good to his people, to those that are clean heart. Verse 2, but as for me. I know we sing about his goodness and his greatness, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then he goes on. You don't have to scroll through these verses, but just consider what I'm about to say. He goes on and he describes the wicked whom his eyes and focus and attention are on. He says the wicked, they're strong. You got nothing, you know, and you're looking at the wicked, they're strong, and you got nothing. You feel like they've got everything. They, they got no problems. I've got problems. They're filled with pride, and I thought pride comes before destruction, and they're not being destroyed. They're violent. They're mean. <laughs> oh, I won't tell the story right now. Yeah, I will. So my, my, my poor daughter, she's known this girl since, like, grade school, and she's been telling my wife, she is just so mean to me. And my, 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 my wife gave her advice, just leave her alone. And, and, and we all know she's got a really rough home life, and, and she's just lashing out with the things that she's getting probably back home. And uh, my daughter, she still, she's, she wants people to like her so bad. And so she gave Miss Faye a compliment. And Faye turned to her and said, I didn't ask you. <laughs> like sometimes people are just mean, Right? You wonder why, what, what, you know, what about me? Like, they got everything going on. They're, they're violent, they're corrupt, they're arrogant. He says they have more than their hearts could wish for. They've got, they've got money on top of money. <laughs> I looked up the richest person in the world. You all know who that is, right? Who is it? Elon Musk, right? Not Bill Gates anymore, not Jeff Bezos. Elon Musk. He's got $250 billion net worth dollars. Okay, what that means is if you were able to make $250,000 and save it and put it in your basement, you would have to take a million years to get as much money collected in your basement before you have as much money as he has. And David says, look, look I, I'm scrolling through my feed, and I see, I see these guys, they're arrogant, they're, 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 they're corrupt, they're violent, they speak against heaven, they're atheists, they're, they're, they, they question God and say, well, if he's real, who is he? Why do you put your faith in the most high? They continue to prosper, they increase in riches. He says, as, as I'm looking through my feed and I see all of this, it's caused my feet. To almost slip. I almost lost my faith. I almost lost my Holy Ghost. I know I'm getting my shout on 
here at commit service and on Sunday, but, but when I see this, I, I feel miserable and I feel like backsliding. He said, I, I've cleansed my heart, I've washed my hands, I've done everything right, and you know what I get for it? I get plagues all day long. That's what he says. I get plagued all day long. Does anyone, can anyone relate with that? What David was feeling? Looking. My God. You just keep doing things the right way. You you keep submitting to spiritual authority, the word of God, and the leading of the spirit. Don't you mind, listen, don't you mind, I'm not even just talking about folks out of the church. You better be very, very careful while we start busying ourselves by comparing ourselves among ourselves. It's not wise. I would to God that you go on a fast from from social media. If you're not on social media, I commend you. That's okay. Don't be upset because your parents don't let you have Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever dumb social media app is out there. It's okay. We use it at our church. I'm on it. But you know what I recently did? I deleted the the apps from off my phone. So if I want to get on it, I have to go to my laptop. And it has heightened my productivity. But you know what? It's a trap where we fall into this comparison mentality and we look at one one picture, one, one video, one, one, one thing, and we think, man, look, at they got it all together, and I know how they're living. I know what they're doing. They get to ask me sung at the, to sing at this thing and speak at this thing, and they go here, and they have all this, and they have those shoes. They have that outfit. They have that car. Almost backslid. He says, this was going on in my life, but then I went to the house of the Lord. But then I realized what their end was. I gained heaven's perspective, and I realized where they're headed on the path they're taking. I was talking about elementary school. My kids went to Longfellow Elementary School in Rock Island. They had these, I think, seven leadership principles that they would recite almost every day, and one of them I can't get out of my head. Begin with the end in mind. And it seems like we start that way in the church but somewhere we get off course. When you got in church, when you were born again, I mean, if we just be real, some of you, you got the Holy Ghost and you got baptized because you didn't want to go to hell. Can I get a witness? Just me? I didn't want to go to hell. And then I heard about how great heaven is. And you know what it was? Is I began with the end in mind. I, I, I knew that this world is temporary and eternity is forever and heaven or hell are real places, and I don't want to go to the bad place. But somewhere along the line in our walk and journey of faith, we get so distracted by the temporary that we forget the eternal, and we stop living with the end in mind. I'm here today to encourage you to continue with the end in mind. Look ahead. Look down the road. Get heaven's perspective. Titles mark the perfect man, but maybe, maybe this title would have been better. Who are you trying to be like? Who are you trying to be like? That's what he's saying. Mark the perfect man. Meaning as in like, 
like put a bullseye on some folks that you're trying to be like. I don't have any bullseye. I just got post-it notes. I found them in the Genesis room. Thank God for Genesis. Right? Who are you trying to be like? Now, I know, I know some of you, you're like, you know, this modern-day contemporary Christianity, it wouldn't stick to your back, brother. What, what's going on? Do they still do that in school? They put a sign on someone's back, kick me? Did I just give you an idea of what you could do when you're at school? It doesn't say kick me. Right? So, you know, in modern-day Christianity, the, the, the saying goes like this. You know, don't look at me, look at Jesus. I'll fail you. Jesus never will. Uh, that sounds good, right? That sounds pretty good. Man, you know, just look at Jesus. But you know what I want to tell those people? It's like I heard Brother Raymond Woodward say. Stop failing us. Stop failing us. I read through the New, New Testament about people that said, follow me as I follow Christ. Mark, mark those like this. Mark the perfect man. Behold the upright. Look at it. Look around. I'm not just talking about in this, in this room now, but perhaps that would be a good idea. Look around. Who do you want to be like? Who are you trying to be like? Oh, there's celebrities, there's icons, there's famous people, there's people in sports, there's people in the news, there's people. Listen, but who are you trying to be like? Consider the end of their path. Where are they headed? What are they doing? Where will their end be? Mark the perfect man. You know what else the Bible says? Mark them that cause division among you and sow discord. What the Bible is trying to get the saint to do is to live with your eyes wide open. Stop walking around like you're in the dark, like you're asleep. Am I speaking to the woke generation or not? It's time let the church wake up. Let the church open their eyes and walk as people of the light and not children of the darkness. Just last night, I was working with a brother in the church who has an adult daughter that is an extremely selfish person right now. Though she has eight children, she is extremely selfish. She has divorced her husband. She's moved away from the family and hardly wants to spend time with her children. The way she is trying to pacify it is she'll meet them at church even though she wants nothing to do with church. And this faithful man of God that is so faithful, he is so, he's one of the most Christian people I know. He's like, I don't understand. Why doesn't she see it? And I said in reply, she doesn't. She can't see it. She cannot see how selfish she is. But you are not of the darkness. You are not blinded by the God of this world. You have had your eyes opened up. The Spirit of God has came into your life. And he has shined the light of his glorious gospel. It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. I'm sorry, it's, it's, it's Saturday, it's the middle of the afternoon, but, but someone hear me, hear me right now. It's time to wake up and see what is influencing my life and what direction is it taking me. I know, I know that you look put together and I, I know I'm preaching to the wrong church. I, I need to find another congregation that, that's half backslidden. You're not backslidden. You're, you're on your way to heaven. You're doing great. Are you? Are you? I, I don't know. God knows. In fact, you, you don't even know what's in your heart, but God does. 
And God knows what's going on. God knows the questions and the crisis of faith that might be going on internally that nobody else sees. The psalmist, that same psalm that said, you know, I look at the wicked. My feet have well nigh slipped. He said, I would not dare tell anybody because I'd be a traitor to my people. And some of you have felt that way. I, I, I don't even want to say out loud what I have felt in my heart. I don't even want to say out loud the questions that are going on in my mind. Can I give you a word of advice? As a pastor and a parent, don't be afraid to go to the right people to have the tough conversations of the things that are going on in your spirit. It's all right. There's a right place to take them. You don't need to blab and gab to just anybody that will listen because you can get some very faulty advice. But there are people like parents and pastors and spiritual authority that wants to hear of the crisis that you're going through that nobody else knows about. Come and let's pray together. Come and let's reason together. Come and let's deal with the issues. Put them on the table and talk about them. Oh, that devil, he's a sly old fox. And he's trying to mess and manipulate with people's minds and their faith. But I come right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and I come to speak against his lies. I come to speak against his strategies and I plead the blood of Jesus right now against Satan and the lies that he seeks to perpetuate in the lives of the saints. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, may every chain be broken off the life of the people that are in this room. Somebody say in Jesus' name. What chains? Chains. Break every chain. Break every chain. Break every chain. What chains? It's the chains that we attached to ourselves and connect to people and to things and to ideas and to philosophies that are contrary to God's word. And we wonder why we're drowning and sinking in our faith. What chains have you connected yourself to? Perhaps subconsciously you haven't even thought about it. I think one of the things that really tries my heart is, is, is the pressure, the pressures that we put on ourselves unnecessarily. Where is this pressure coming from? I could relate on so many levels. One of the levels is a, as a church planner, all through the 19 years, there's been pressure on what success might look like for a church planner. And I felt like after year three and five and seven and 10 and 11 and 12 and 15, we still didn't have our building. And sometimes I felt like if I just, we, this may all fall apart. And, and, and there's pressures that we put on ourselves. And I know as you, as, as teenagers, there are pressures that you feel like you are under the weight of. And let me ask you, who put those pressures there, society or culture or trends or fashions or media, Hollywood. I don't know what pressures are there. Maybe from school. Maybe, maybe whatever they are. Think about them. Examine them. Why are they there? Are they from the word of God? Are they from spiritual authority? Are, for, are, are they imposed by his spirit? If the answer is no, then shake them off. Get rid of them. I feel, I feel like chains are about to break in this place. God has given you power.
power and authority to shake loose of those things. I said we're fighting from victory, not for victory. We are facing a defeated foe. He's already been defeated. By his stripes we are healed, not just in our body, but in our spirit, in our mind. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's time to get rid of self-imposed pressures and intimidation that God did not put there and say, I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who loves me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And if God be for me, then what could stand against me? Oh, I believe. I believe. I believe. I believe. Mark the perfect man. You say, well, let me just ask you, who, who do you want to be like in five years? Who do you want to be like in ten years? When we get so trapped into the present that we have no consideration of the future. Oh, God. This is how Rome fell when Caesar said, just give them cakes and circuses. And they won't even realize that we are taking their freedoms from them. You learn about Rome's history. It's demise. They got so enthralled with the Colosseum. Cakes and circuses, free food and entertainment. It's scary how similar our present American culture is right now to Rome before its fall. And if we are not careful in, in American Christianity, we can fall to the same trap. So captivated by what's going on now, here. I mean, it wasn't enough that we had a, a feed, a news feed in our social media. Now we have reels. Has anyone stopped to consider, like, Real, why do they just drawing you in? Has anyone else like got caught on a reel and three hours later, and how many 10 second videos later? And you're thinking, What did I just watch? And what did I just do with my time? How did I get here? And why, why now do I feel the way that I feel? Why do I have these pressures of that I should look like this and be involved with this? Listen, don't, I know what I'm talking about. I sat, I sat in my bedroom last night with my daughter who's 13, and I, I don't want to put out all, all our family business, but my daughter who's 13 was having a little bit of a pity party. She didn't want to act like she was having a pity party, but she was. Because last night, her public school, junior high, had a school dance. And she was asked by a boy to go. And her parents didn't let her go to the school dance because we don't go to school dances. That's, what I, that's how it is in my house. We don't go to school dances. I grew up that way because there's plenty of things that happen at school dance. Oh, Dad, you don't know. There'll be, there'll be teachers there. Mr. Petroff, my, my, my biology teacher, he's going to be there. He showed us the funny dance that he's going to do. And Then she was upset because she got invited to the after party. I said, you definitely are never going to go to the after party. You ain't never going to go to school dance. You ain't never, never going to go to an after party. But it's at, my, it's at my friend's house, and she's just, she's a really nice person. She's, a, she's like so good. I said, is she Holy Ghost filled? No, she goes to church, though, and her parents are going to be there. And I had to explain to her, and, and she would look away from me and look back, and she's got a tear rolling down her cheek, and that does something to a daddy's heart, Okay. I ain't going to lie. 
It's breaking my heart. Here she is. But you know what? While on one hand, sister say, my heart's breaking for her. On the other hand, I am so stinking fuming mad at the devil and his stupid lies. I said, baby, let me make it plain. (laughs) I said, this is what's going on. When I was your age, same stuff happened. And you know what? When, When my friends got introduced to alcohol, to sex, to pornography, to drugs, it happened at school dances and after parties. That's why we're not going to go. I said, listen, I know people personally that got pregnant at 15 years old. Their whole life has been shaped by their pregnancy. By how many seconds? In, in What's going on? Like, no, I'm going to protect you. Now, you can throw off restraint if you want. And you can be like the stick stiff-necked people of Israel that couldn't follow Moses and Joshua and, and, and couldn't walk into the land of promise. Or you can say, you know what, I'm going to begin with the end of mine. I'm going to look beyond the present. I know I'm so enthralled. I know it looks so good now. No, 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 no. Well, I, let me, I'm meddling and I'll stop. Give me a couple more minutes. Let me just say this. You, you, you are in a precarious place. You, you I, I don't, I don't, I don't envy you at all. Those of you that are teenagers, young adults in here, hyphen age, I don't envy you at all. I, I, would, I would shun to think about trying to go through the dating process again. Oh, my goodness. It gives me nightmares, like, going through that. Like, they're, they're, I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to pull anything. You, you've got a lot, a lot of pressure on you, okay? It's real. But instead of just living reactionary, I wonder if you could do something really practical and sit down and think, what do I want my life to be like in five years, 10 years, 20 years? Don't just ooh and awe when you're at the Denny's and you see the couple that's been married for 50 years. I want you to ask yourself, how did they get there? Is that what I want for my life? Because me going after every hot thing that walks in front of me ain't going to get me there. I'll tell you what you do. I'll tell you what you do. I don't care how much you think they don't relate to you. They're not relevant. They're out of fashion. I want you to look around the church. Tomorrow, look around the church and see some folks that when you're their age, that's what you want to be like. And say, okay, I'm going to set the mark on them. (laughs) You get your post-it note. Put it on them. Not, Not really. Don't do that. But what you're doing is saying, you know what? That's it. I, I'm going to mark them. I'm going to put a mark on them, and I'm going to keep watching them. How they worship, I want to worship. How, how they pray, I want to pray. How faithful they are, that's how faithful I want to be. Listen, I know that not everybody in the church you're going to set a mark on. You might set marks on people that cause division and discord and say, you know what? I don't want to be like that. Say, well, nobody's perfect. Jesus is. Yeah, he is. He's perfect. So I, I, I can't see him. You got plenty of folks around you. I have no doubt in my mind you have plenty of folks walking around with Jesus on the inside, living on the outside. Mark them. Look at them. If you want further evidence, put your face in the word of God 
and start reading the Gospels carefully, reading the epistles carefully, and saying, this is how I want to pattern my life because I refuse to walk blindly through this world and allow the world to squeeze me into its mold. I will not be conformed to this world, but rather I will be transformed by the renewing of my mind so that I might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let me close. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 has this wonderful portrait of all these heroes of the faith. And then the preacher says, I'm running out of time, church. I'm running out of time. I can't take time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Deborah. I can't take time to tell you about Samson, Jephthah. I can't take time for all this. In fact, there's, there's folks, I don't even know their name, but they wandered around in sheep, sheepskins and, and they had to hide and they were sawn asunder. They were stoned to death. He said, but the world is not worthy of them. And then he goes on and continues in chapter 12. He says, look around you. You're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses and I want you to behold the witnesses we're talking about a trial right well you're in the courtroom of your faith you're surrounded by witnesses that are lining up to take the bench and the oath and say I've been there I've done it you could do it too I know what's in you because it's in me I'm going to wear this right now as a badge of honor, his honor. Can I tell you something? If you're looking for someone to follow, I'm not saying this with arrogance. I'm not saying this in some kind of prideful way. But if you're looking for someone to follow, you follow my wife and I. Follow us. We're not perfect. We'll let you down. But you know what? In our imperfection, Sister Morgan, we may fall. But just keep watching because the story ain't over. <laughs> Rejoice not against me, O oh, mine enemy. For when I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. I'm telling you, somebody, it's time for some young people to stand up and say, you can follow me. Stand together with me. I know exactly how this message needs to end. This message needs to close in this way. It's double fold. One for you to truly behold. Open your eyes and look around and say, who do I want to be like? Sincerely, who's going to heaven? Who's living for God? Who do I want to be like? And mark them. Set a bullseye on their life and don't deter follow them. But the second part of this altar call is this. It's an altar call that will reinforce and strengthen our children's ministries. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our children's ministry is about to have a surging revival because there are some older brothers and sisters and teenagers in this room that the children look up to, that you are going to stop saying, don't look at me, look at Jesus. Don't look at me, look at Jesus. You're going to start saying, you know what, follow me as I follow Christ. Hey, come on. 
Why don't you take the hand of some child, whether it's your younger sibling or some child you're not even biologically related to, and you step up to, to brother and sister Tate and say, take their child by the hand. Come, let's worship together. You don't just have to follow mom and dad, but I'm going to show you how to worship. I love it. I love it. I love it when the people that my kids look up to are in the altar and are at camp and are faithful and are worshipful. I love it because I know my influence is waning. My son's about to turn 16. My daughter's 13. She's already embarrassed of me when I pull up to school to pick her up. But you know what I do? I roll down the windows and turn up the gospel music. She gets in. She's like, Dad! But you know what? I rejoice when I see, I see you guys, I see young people that my kids look up to and that they have peers, that they have friends that are taking my kids and their influence and saying we will be a part of this end time revival. We'll start a Project 7 Bible Club. You know why my kids want to start a Project 7 Bible Club? They haven't yet. Because they saw their friends start Project 7 Bible Clubs. You know why my kids want to go on AYC trips? It's not because I, I was a chaperone on trip. They would be so mortified if I was the chaperone on their trip to AYC. But it's because you guys went on AYC trips. So in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, wherever my mark went. If you're looking for someone, Lord, to use, you could use me. And Lord, open my eyes one more time so that I can see clearly and I can map out the path that you have for me to take. With every eye closed, every eye closed, I was about to say with every head bowed, but I want you to lift up your heads right now. Oh, Lord, we've already repented. We've already sought the face of God, but right now with your head lifted up, your eyes closed, look around you in your mind's eye at the courtroom of the trial of your faith. You're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Oh, then look, look, look who's at the judge's stand. It's Jesus. Looking unto the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, but he did it anyways. Come on, consider yourself. You have not endured contradiction and striving that has led unto blood. Look at Jesus. Look at the faithful that have gone before you. You can't live for God. You can make it. And then begin to walk by faith and not by sight and say, Lord, I want, to, I want to blaze a trail for those who my influence reaches that they can follow me. Right now with this altar open, I'm going to ask no music. I want us just to come. We're going to pray for a while. And then we're going to dismiss on a very practical level. But right now, I want you to make your way to a place of decision somewhere in this altar or in this sanctuary and say, Lord, I've been living lazily lately. I've been living blind lately and allowing myself to be influenced by whatever whim or fashion or trend. But right now, I'm going to take a fast. I'm going to take a break from the influences that have been pouncing and, and pre predominant in my life and I am going to give myself to your word, to your spirit and to looking at where you want me to go in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.
Would you begin to lift up your voices right now?